Have you ever gotten in trouble for something that wasn't your fault? Yeah, a little, take a second to take that. Have you ever gotten in trouble for something that wasn't your fault or something maybe that you didn't even do? Believe it or not, this happened to me. Uh, it happened to me one time, uh, among many, but one time when I was in the fifth grade, one time I got suspended from the school bus. Yeah, in the fifth grade, and I know, I know, it's like, what? How in the world could that happen? Chris would probably never make a mistake. But it happened to me, and it's all because of the, uh, that bus monitor kid. You remember that kid? Like, there was always this one kid uh, that, like, the teacher picked, like, their favorite kid who never did anything wrong, and it was their job to write down the names of all the bad kids, right? And, like, first of all, whose idea was that in the first place? Like, to put one kid in charge of all the other kids. And then second of all, I think she was just angry because I wouldn't be her valentine. Maybe. I don't know. But anyway, she wrote my name down, and uh, it was, uh, what, um, failure to uh, be quiet during quiet time or something. I don't know. Uh, The truth was I had actually been in trouble several times leading up to this, and this was, like, the third strike, and you're out, or maybe the fourth or fifth strike, and you're out. So, honestly, I probably did deserve some kind of punishment. Uh, But have you ever gotten in trouble for something that you didn't do? It's frustrating, isn't it? It's like, come on, like, I, I I... I get in trouble enough for the stuff I do do. How come I'm in trouble for something I didn't do? I want to put that thought in your mind because that's how our story today begins. We've been in this book of, of Acts in the Bible. It's the fifth book of the New Testament, and we're in this teaching series called Acts, When God Sparks a Movement. And it's the story of the church as it began, and as people began to first accept the message of Jesus and it, let it change their life. Uh, every week we have been uh, seeing a different phase of the church as it grows, and if you remember last week we talked uh, about how the church was bold, and, uh, and it was bold in the face of of what was like their first bit of friction that they faced with some opposition. Well, that friction has heated up. And today we're going to step into a story where things go full tilt and things are really beginning to blow up. Uh, Each week we've had a single word to represent the big idea for that week. And so we won't go over them today. We'll go over them in a few weeks. We're just trying to keep them in the front of our mind. But there are, there are three words that we've done so far. And normally I kind of introduce them at the beginning of the lesson. But today I want to kind of hold back a minute before we talk about this week's word. And I know, the anticipation's killing you. Like you're as excited about that as you are about watching the new Full House series on Netflix, I'm sure. But we'll get to that. But what I want to do is I want to get you get your Bible. We're going to be uh, flipping over or scrolling down to Acts chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you today, we've got some free ones that are uh, underneath some of the seats in the, the room here today. I want you to know that you need a, if you need a Bible to keep, uh, you can take one of those Bibles and have it. It's yours to keep. We want everyone to have a good readable version of the Bible. Uh, but we'll be beginning in Acts chapter 6 in verse 8. And what's going to happen is we're going to meet a new character that we haven't met before. His name is Stephen. And we're going to see what happens when the momentum of the church, which by the way is growing like crazy, something like ten or 15,000 people have accepted Jesus and have become Christians by this point in the church. It's still very early in the, in the church's growth. We're going to see what happens when that momentum runs headlong into opposition of people who just don't want to hear it. Just don't want to hear it. So we're in Acts chapter 6. I just want to jump right in, okay? Acts chapter 6, starting at verse 8. Let's meet Stephen. It says, Now Stephen, who was a man full of God's power, he performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, for members of the synagogue of the freemen, as it was called. These were Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. Basically, these are Jews who weren't from Jerusalem. They were Jews from some other places. And these people began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom that the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, 
We've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Have you ever gotten in trouble for something that you did not do? Can you imagine that? These guys are just out to get Stephen. They, they, don't, they don't like him. It's funny because they can't seem to win an argument with him. And so they turn into the old uh, proverbial bus monitor. They decide they're going to tattletale. And what they do is they actually just start some rumors. They're like, let's just start telling people that Stephen is going out and he's saying blasphemous things about Moses and God. And just so you know, this is a huge deal. You don't talk trash about Moses to, to, the, to the Jews in the first century, and you definitely don't blaspheme God. Now, Stephen's story is really important. It's important for a couple of reasons. We're about to find out why, the, the big reason why Stephen's story is important based upon what happens to him. But Stephen's story is also really important for this reason. Stephen represents a group of people. Uh, these are the group of people that rose up as leaders in the church who were not also apostles. Like, think about that. This is really a startup movement. When we opened up the book of Acts to chapter 1, there were 120 people huddled up in an upstairs room going, what do we do? And now there's 10 to 15,000 of them. And there are other people who are now not apostles who are rising up. This is a new generation of leadership. And it's really cool when you see that momentum take place. And for whatever reason, there's these people in town that have been trying to debate Stephen. See, just like the forerunners for Stephen with the apostles and Jesus himself, Stephen's running into people who don't agree with him. And they want to stand up against him, and they want to cause him some opposition. And so these rumors are spread, and they're very serious. And they say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And, and the one thing that I want you to understand about these charges is if anyone was found guilty of these charges in Jerusalem by the Jewish leading council, it was a crime punishable by death. And so Stephen finds himself in a trial. We're going to flip over and move into chapter 7 now. It's a big section, so we're going to be just kind of picking pieces of it apart so we can get to the main ideas. He's at the feet of the people called the Sanhedrin. This is the same ruling council who had condemned Jesus to death and, execute, uh, and crucifixion. It was the same ruling council who we saw last week uh, dishing out uh, warnings to Peter and John saying, don't go out and talk about Jesus anymore. We don't want you to do that. Don't tell people that he rose from the dead. We don't like it when you do that. It's the same people. And so this is where we pick up in chapter 7, verse 1. Stephen is with these people. It says this. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? And to this he replied, well, brothers and fathers, listen to me. Now, if you're holding a Bible in your hand, you can see he's about to say a whole lot of stuff. And I'm not going to read that. Actually, he begins for the next 40 verses or so to give a doozy of a speech. This speech that Stephen gives is twice as long as any other speech in the whole book of Acts, which is a big deal. He says a lot in a short amount of time. And as he's going, Stephen's speech, uh, what he does, I want to tell you what, what he says so you can kind of know the summary of it. Um, Basically, as his defense, Stephen decides to retell the entire story of the Old Testament. That seems like a reasonable response. Like, if you ever got in trouble with your parents when you were a kid, and they're like, why did you do that? And you're like, well, let's see, Adam and Eve. Uh, you're like, wait, you, no, not that far back. I'm talking about what happened since school got out. Stephen goes all the way back to the beginning, and he starts talking about Abraham and Moses, and these are all names that are huge in Jewish history. Now, of course, the Jewish ruling council doesn't need to be lectured on Jewish history. Like, that's not something that they needed to hear. Uh, but Stephen isn't just talking to hear himself speak. He's got a purpose behind it. In fact, as you read through that story, by the way, if you're new in Christianity or maybe you don't have a real good handle on the Old Testament and how it flows, uh, Stephen's speech would be a really good place for you to check out. It's kind of a note version of the Old Testament. It really goes through in, in about 40 verses. And so it would be a good place for you to kind of get your bearings in what order things happened. But anyway, as he's telling this, he's not just doing it to re-give the history to these people who ob obviously knew it. 
He does what one of my favorite Bible scholars, uh, Dr. Mark Moore, calls a Christological motif. In other words, what he's doing is he's retelling this story, and he's saying Christological is things dealing with Christ, okay? He's saying, let's look at Jewish history through the lens of Jesus is the Son of God. Let's look at Jewish history now based on what we know about Jesus. Let's see what Jewish history was really about. These are some things he says. For example, he talks about Abraham. Now, Abraham is the father of all the Jewish nation. Literally, biologically, every Jew is a descendant from Abraham. And he shows how Abraham's story points to Jesus. He talks about Joseph, another very pivotal character in Jewish history. He talks about how Joseph's story is, is just like Jesus' story, if you know Joseph's story, about how he was rejected, yet God rose him up and allowed him to bring redemption to his people. He talks about uh, Moses, again. He's in court because people are claiming that he's talking junk about Moses. He's like, look, I, I got no beef with Moses. In fact, what you guys just did to Jesus was just the way they treated Moses. In fact, Moses' whole thing is the same thing that Jesus was trying to accomplish. And he goes on talking about kings like David and Solomon, the same Christological motif, showing how all of these Old Testament stories ultimately were pointing towards God's plan in Jesus. And the Jewish council picked up on exactly what he was doing. And do you think they liked it? No, they were anti-Jesus talk. Not only was this message that he was saying, Stephen's saying, not only, not only is what I'm saying not wrong, it was actually Jesus' plan the whole time to get, I mean, God's plan the whole time. Let me say this again. I stumbled all over my words. Not only was what Stephen was being charged for wrong, Stephen's argument is Jesus' whole purpose is to fulfill Moses and God's purpose. It's like he's standing before the Jewish leading council and he says, no, I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong at all. If anybody's wrong, it's you guys. Do you not see that you just treated Jesus just like your forefathers have treated every other messenger that God sent? And you put him to death. But by the way, he rose from the dead. You've done the same thing. Now, remember, um, Last week's focus word was, do you remember what last week's focus word was? Boldness. Boldness. And I said, boldness is a behavior born out of a belief, but it comes with a known risk. You remember that? Boldness is a behavior born out of a belief, and it comes with a known risk. And so Stephen is about to take another bold stance, just like Peter and John did last week. His boldness continues, and we're actually going to read some of it now. Uh, Scan down to uh, verse 51, and let's see his final remarks. He says, you stiff-necked people. Your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised, which is kind of a funny thing to say, but it's the kind of thing they said back then. He says, you are just like your ancestors who always resisted the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet that your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, which is a nickname for Jesus. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. That's bold. And Stephen, at this point, remember, we, we summarized a really long speech. But he's been talking for a long time. And the Sanhedrin has heard enough. <laughs> he's standing there with like a stick and he's poking a hungry lion through the cage, right? But he doesn't know that the door's unlocked over here. Actually, I think he knows full well that the door's unlocked. So in this, verse 54, we see how the Sanhedrin reacts. Let's look at it. Verse 54. So when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious, and they gnashed their teeth, which is kind of like growling with their teeth out. Urgh, something that they did. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, and he saw the glory of God. 
And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man, which was the nickname for Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. See, things are about to go really bad for Stephen, but in this moment of absolute, what, must, what could have been and what must have been terror, God sends Stephen a little bit of peace. And he's like, oh, look, speaking of Jesus, I see him now. <laughs> he's standing beside God, and that, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. It really was, and so we see then what the Sanhedrin does as a result. Verse 57, it says, And at this, they covered their ears, and they yelled at the top of their voices, which is real mature, and they all rushed at him. And they dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. Execution. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Yes, this is the Saul who eventually becomes Paul, who we talk about all the time But don't get ahead of me. If you don't know about Paul, it's okay. We're going to talk about him next week. His story is next week. Verse 59. And while they were stoning him, this guy is literally being hit with big rocks. This is what he does. Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And on that day, oh, and when he said this, he fell asleep. And we kind of roll over to chapter 8 now. It says, and Saul approved of their killing. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And godly men buried Stephen, and they mourned deeply for him. And so the whole church gets broken up, and people scatter all over the place. And it's very sad. Whoa. You know, we watch movies all the time. We read books and stories. And, and main characters die in movies. Like, a lot of times, that's the mark of a, a really good story. Like, we get to that. I mean, you don't want it to happen, but you're like, oh, wow. I can't believe they, they killed off that character. i, I got to remind you of something. Stephen's not a character in a movie. This is a real guy. This is a real person who had friends. He had a mom somewhere. He might have had, a, I don't know, a wife and kids. He's a real person. He's as real as me or you or the person sitting next to you. This is terrible. The boldness Stephen shows allows him to become the first martyr for the church. A martyr is someone who gives their life for what they believe in. The first, not the last, but the first martyr. And I think in this, in this moment, there, there's a phrase that I kind of want to put out in front of you and let you chew on. We'll, we'll say it a few more times today, but it, it might be something worth really thinking about. And this is, this is the phrase. If Jesus is worth following, then he's worth following no matter what. If Jesus is worth following, then he's worth following no matter what. You know, when I look at a story like this, I just think, where's the hope in that? Like, where, where's the peace and where's the hope in a story like that? As we look at this chapter of the book of Acts, the book of Acts, there's so many questions. You know, why, why did it get to this? Did the Sanhedrin go too far? Should, should Stephen have just kind of held his tongue a little bit? You know, like, should he have really gone to this length? But I think, and those questions have been wrestled with throughout history, and you can read books that people have asked about all those kind of questions. But I think the real question for us today is what does this story mean to us in 2016 in the modern church? And what does it mean to you? As a person sitting in a seat in this room right now, as this story unfolds and as we get to read it, 
And so now I'd like to finally share with us our focus word for today. It was in your seats in the little package you had. This is the focus word, and it's something I want to chew on with the rest of our time together. And the word is persecution. It's not a fun word. You know, persecution is, is not something that I don't think a lot of us understand. I mean, I think we get persecution to some degree. I think, uh, like, bullying in school is probably, like, a level of persecution. I think that, uh, you know, Cam Newton got some persecution last week when he was a crybaby after the Super Bowl. Like, that, that was maybe some persecution from ESPN. I think um, persecution happens to all Nickelback fans, for example. But, like, beyond that, I don't think we have, like, really a grasp of persecution in this world. Persecution, by definition, is uh, intentional discrimination uh, against someone because of their political, religious, or uh, racial standing. Race, politics, religion. That'll get you riled up on it. And maybe all of the above. That's persecution. And yeah, we see some of that in America, and we see a lot of that around the world. It's a heavy word. Persecution has always been a part of Christianity. Like when you look back all the way to the beginning of Stephen's story, and even when you think about Jesus' life, Persecution has always been a part of the Christianity dialogue. Stephen's story uh, actually causes believers to scatter the world because persecution was happening. Up until this point, the center of Christianity was Jerusalem, and there really was no big push for it to go anywhere else, even though that was like, one day, one day we'll spread the the message of Jesus to the world. But for that day, the, the whole movement was growing in Jerusalem. We see stuff like this, and we ask questions like, why? Why does it happen? Why the mistreatment of peaceful, loving people? If you, if you get to the core or the bottom line of what Christianity is, you're like, okay, the message is God loves you, and we should love God. Like, what, what's, what's the big problem with Christianity? But there have always been people that stand in opposition to Christianity. And, and you know, I could go on some big dialogue as, why is Christ, persecution happening and this and that? But here's the thing that I think we've got to realize. Why does Christianity happen? Take this in. It's heavy. I really don't know where everyone in the room is on their faith. Uh, I don't know if you're a place where you're, like, strong into Christianity or you're here for the first time today. But I, I think that you need to understand that this is what uh, we as a church believe and what the Bible teaches. And this, this is why I believe persecution happens. Because the devil is real. That's why persecution happens. And he does not want people to follow Jesus. And it is one of his biggest goals in existence to shut it down. And he is crafty, and he is sneaky, and he's doing everything in his, part, in his power. Which though he doesn't have the power equal to God, his power is strong. He uses everything that he can imagine. Racism, politics, religious disagreements, property lines, you name it. And the devil will use that to divide people and pull them away from God. There is a spiritual battle in the world. There's no surprise that there's persecution. I'm reminded of something that Jesus said, which actually, I don't know if it gives you peace at this moment or not. Hopefully by the end of our talk it will. But this is something Jesus said. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. He didn't set us out to do anything that he wasn't already dealing with. And I'm not talking about Jesus in the flesh. I'm talking about Jesus when he's in his full God state. Many people stand in complete opposition to him. So when we face persecution, what about this phrase? If Jesus is worth following, then he's worth following no matter what. 
I think, honestly, we have it pretty good here in Wilmington. Uh, I mean, for goodness sake, we're a church that meets in a building owned by the state, okay? We've got it pretty good. Nobody's kicking down our doors, trying to make us renounce our God. Yes, there are some radical things happening in our nation, but by and large, Christians in Wilmington and even around our nation have it pretty good. But around the world, did you know that today there are 60 nations approximately uh, that it is the government encourages the persecution of Christians at worst and at best, they just, if it happens, they just turn a blind eye. 60 countries. Did you know that around 180 Christians are killed every month on average because of their faith around the world? And we see graphic images circulate uh, the internet and, and news circuits of things of groups like ISIS are doing to Christians and other anti-Christian groups and even stuff that's happening in our country. I mean, school shootings and bombings and things like that done by groups and individuals who have an anti-Christian agenda. Persecution is real. And so I asked the question again, where is the message of hope in that? Like, Chris, I brought my friend to church today. Uh, thanks a lot. Where's the hope in all of this? Where do we lean for comfort? I think there's great comfort that can be had. And that's where I want to head now. I've had the great privilege of meeting a man named Ajay Law. Uh, Ajay Law is uh, uh, a man who grew up in India. He's an Indian guy. Is he? I think I've got a picture of him. Uh, Ajay, for the last 30 years, has been working with an organization uh, called Central India Christian Mission. He founded that organization, and they've done some incredible things. His entire life's mission is to spread the message of Jesus to every corner of the huge country of India, which, by the way, is over 1.2 billion people, 80% of which are Hindu. And many of those Hindu people are people who believe very strongly and staunchly that it is their country and that anyone who's not a Hindu needs to get out or convert. Okay, this, this is the world that Ajay lives in. And so he sees and he understands the persecution of the, the church and Christianity every single day. And so the question, how do you find hope in that? Where is there peace? Where is there comfort in that? I, I, couldn't, I couldn't begin to tell you. I could anecdotally tell you and I could tell you stories and this and that. But instead what I'd rather do is I, I'd like you to meet Ajay Law. We've got a video that we're about to show, and you're going to see two men in this video. You'll see Ajay here, and he's kind of narrating the video. But we're also going to meet a man, his name is not mentioned, who at one point in his life was a Hindu extremist who made it his mission to persecute Christianity. Let's just look at this story and how it unfolds. I'm a Hindu it's hard sometimes for many people in countries where there is no persecution of Christians to understand why Christians are being persecuted. We are talking about love, we are caring people, we are providing food and shelter, helping the children to be educated. Why do Christians face persecution? Before 1947, India and Pakistan were one country. When we received our independence, Pakistan became a nation for Muslims and India became nations for Hindus to live. People have this mentality that this is the nation for Hindus. This is a Hindu nation. It is Hindustan. You go and help people and provide for their physical needs, that's great. But when people start seeing conversions, when people see that hundreds and thousands of people are attracted to Jesus Christ, it's, it's a threat to them, it's a threat to the caste system, 
its threat to those handful of high caste people who are holding the major offices of the government. Many states are being ruled by the Hindu legalistic government. And in those states, there is persecution because government is giving protection to these extremist groups who are going and torturing and persecuting the, these Christians and evangelists and Christian leaders. My meaning is that when I was young, I got the opportunity that we are Hindu Hindus. We are living in Hindustan. We will work here in Hindu Dharma. We will not give Christianity and Mormons. तो मेरी पत्नी लेटी पड़ी थी मैंने घर गया शाम को ऑफिस से घर जाके मैंने अपनी पत्नी से कहा ससी एक मेरे ऑफिस में एक सरदार जी आए और सरदार जी आके कहने लगे भैया कैसे उदास बैठे हो मैं बोला यार इसलिए उदास बैठे मेरा बेटा गुजर गया मिसिज पैरालाइज हो गई है अभी सर्जरी हुई है डॉक्टर बोल रहे हैं महीने में मर जाएगी सरदार जी कहने लगे मेरे ऑफिस में आके भैया आप इस मसीह का धन्यवाद हो आपकी पत्नी अच्छी हो जाएगी मैंने सरदार से कहा सरदार जी अपना मुँह बंद करो और भाग जाओ से हमें तुम्हारे इस मसीह की जरूरत नहीं मेरी पत्नी ने कहा ले लो यीशु मसीह का हम ना जाने बच जाएं ये बातें मैंने मैं और मेरी पत्नी मैं अपनी पत्नी को रोज़ सुबह शाम ये बात बोलता है यीशु मसीह तो जीवित परमेश्वर मेरी पत्नी को चंगा कर तो 21वें दिन मैं ऑफिस से शाम को घर आया देखा मेरी पत्नी दीवार को पकड़कर अपने से चल रही है जो अपने से हिल नहीं सकती थी पहले जब मैंने यीशु मसीह पर विश्वास किया मेरे परिवार ने मुझे घर से निकाल दिया मैं दस महीने जंगल में रहा बच्चों को लेकर और जब मैंने अपने परिवार को यीशु मसीह के बारे में बताया उन्होंने दो साल के बाद मेरे मसीह में आने के दो साल बाद मेरे पूरे परिवार ने यीशु मसीह को ग्रहण किया और सबको बत्तीस में दिया मैंने। We have experienced this persecution on a mild to the severe level. We have seen where the entire area in Odisha, where thousands of homes of Christians were were burned to ashes, where church buildings were destroyed, where where thousands of Christians were killed. साल में बारह महीने होते हैं, बारह महीने में लगभग लगभग दो महीने के अंदर एक आध बार कहीं ना कहीं झड़प हो ही जाती है मैं सोलह बार जा चुका हूँ जितना हमारा विरोध होता है उससे कहीं ज़्यादा बढ़कर हम लोग दुआ करते हैं कि परमेश्वर इस विरोध के ऊपर हम लोग जय पा लें वेन यू आर क्रिश्चन यू यू सी थिंग्स डिफरेंटली वी सी थिंग्स इन द कॉन्टेक्सट ऑफ इटर्निटी नॉट इवन वन पर्सन हैज सेट टू मी दैट प्रे दैट दिस परसिक्यूशन विल एंड दे सेट दैट प्रे दैट वी विल रिमेन स्ट्रॉन्ग अंटिल द वेरी एंड प्रे That's that God's purpose uh, may be fulfilled during this persecution. मैं अब तक 1675 लोगों को बत्तीसवा दे चुका हूँ. 22 लोग हमारे चर्च से पादरी बन चुके हैं. छः पास्टर आज मेरे साथ हैं जो फरक-फरक जगह मेरे साथ चलते हैं. No, this is the time when they see my faith in action. They have heard me preach, but they, now they they want to see a sermon from my life. That I'm going back. I'm not afraid. I would rather obey God than men. Where do we find hope in the face of persecution? Where do we find comfort in the midst of opposition? I mean, the story of Ajay and this other evangelist and the other people that I've heard stories from, from their organization, is incredible. I want to share some statistics with you about what Jesus is doing uh, in, over in India. Through Ajay and Central India Christian Missions, they have planted 14,000 churches in India. 14,000 churches have begun in an area where it's completely opposed, where people are actively persecuting those who believe that. But something is making it catch on. Something is making it worth doing. Someone seems to be sharing a message that if Jesus is 
worth living for, then it's worth it no matter what. Another statistic, did you know that over 400,000 people have been baptized into Jesus just through CICM? That's not other Christian missionary efforts, just through them. It's amazing. The message keeps going. People keep hearing it, and there's something in the message. There's something in the people that are speaking it that's making people by the thousands come to faith in what's happening with Jesus. Another statistic for you, uh, 72,000 people have been treated in one of CICM's medical facilities. I love this. Because one of the ways that Ajay and his crew uh, meet, uh, meet people and interact with people is to simply do something Jesus did. and something that we try to do as a church all the time. Let's meet people where they are, with their physical needs. Jesus was constantly coming, people and, coming to people and meeting their needs of physical needs or food needs or just comfort needs, hugging people that were considered untouchable and spending time with people that were socially outcast. And 72,000 people have been treated in medical facilities in CICM. No wonder the movement continues to grow. There are currently over 5,000 orphans in the orphanages that CICM runs. And I want to qualify that just a little bit and just let you know. That's 5,000 current orphans that does not include the hundreds upon hundreds who have gone through the entire program and grown up and been able to find their own place in this world, healthy and also knowing about the love of God through Jesus. As this story of the church around the world and, and the 60 countries uh, where, that I mentioned earlier where, where Christianity is opposed, I want you to know something. These numbers are true there too. There's something about Jesus there's something about this message of God loves me and he can forgive me no matter what I've done and then he just wants me to love the world around me. What's so complicated about that? What's so hard about that? I tell you the truth is that it's attracting. It's attracting people over and over and over. When God sparks a movement, nothing can stand in his way. And the church is God's movement. I'm so excited to be part of it. Where do you find peace in that? Where do you find comfort in that? I'm so thankful for stories like Stephen or the man in this video or the many that we've heard around, about around the world because what it reminds me of is that our goal is not to get our golden ticket into heaven so we can sit on a cloud and play a harp for the rest of our life. Our purpose, our goal, church, listen, if you're a Christian today and you know about Jesus, I want to tell you what your goal, what your purpose is, mandated by Jesus himself. Our purpose is to crash the gates of hell with the love, truth, and light of Jesus. Because people are suffering every single day without it. And we get to go into their life and say, listen, there's a better way. And they may say, shut up, I hate you. And you say, awesome, I love you. And one by one, lives are changed. And there is hope, and there is peace, and there is comfort in that. And the church is God's movement. And nothing can stand in its way. Because if Jesus is worth living for, he's worth following no matter what. You remember after the stoning of Stephen, the believers scattered? Jerusalem was the center of Christianity, and then uh, the Jewish leadership kind of scared them off. And I would think that those, remember that crew of people who had been kind of uh, arguing with Stephen and eventually started spreading the rumors about him, and then he eventually ended up, ended, in court, ended up in court because of these rumors. I bet you that when Stephen died, and then all the Christians began to spread out of Jerusalem, I bet that those people felt pretty good about themselves. They're like, yeah, yeah, we did it. We won. But you know what? That couldn't be further from the truth. They did not win. What I want to do is read you Acts chapter 8, verse 4, which I think is the most awesome verse in this whole story. Let's look at that together. It says, those that have been scattered 
preached the word wherever they went. They weren't scared. Did they go to safer places where their children could grow up without being threat of being killed? Sure, they did that. But what did they do in the process? They took the message of love and truth about God wherever they went. Not only did people continue to believe when they left Jerusalem to find safer places, but they took the message of Jesus with them to their new homes, to their new cities, to their new countries. God uses this terrible event for good. He uses it to jumpstart and motivate the followers into doing what he wanted them to do all along in the first place. He used it to motivate them to get into the game. Now, I want to be clear about something. I don't think that it's ever God's plan to cause us pain. But what I know is that when pain is in our life, he can use it for good every single time. Maybe what you need to hear today is that Jesus is worth following no matter what. Maybe a truth that you need to hear today is something that we read in the book of Romans by this guy named Paul, who we actually read about just a second ago. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. He says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I know that right now in this room, this room is full of people who, who have this story of, a uh, story like, I, I hit rock bottom. I hit rock bottom and things were terrible, but it was there at rock bottom where I finally saw God in my life and started to take the right steps. God works together for good for those who learn to love him. I know there's people in this story who said they found a chance at new life even after an ugly divorce. It was terrible. Why am I going through this? But on the other side, God is still waiting and saying, I've got something new for you. I've seen people in this room see how financial struggle has taught them to trust God's provision. You see what's happening here? A terrible situation being turned into good because God is there. Because God does love us. And his message of hope and peace and truth and love, it transcends the things of this world. Of course there are people who want to shut it down. But God is greater. And he always wins. I don't believe it's ever God's plan to cause us pain. But he's the master of redeeming that pain so that we can see him. What are you facing? Maybe it is persecution. Maybe you're actually and literally facing persecution for your faith. Draw strength from the stories of Stephen, Ajay Law, and the thousands around the world who are living in it right now that say, don't pray for it to end. Just pray that we can continue to have the boldness to share the truth and storm the gates of hell with the light of God to shine it in the dark places of people's lives. Maybe for you it's not persecution, but you're being attacked by something else. It's evil in your life, like it's a sin that you struggle with or it's a temptation that's just been following you or it's an addiction that continues to drag you down no matter how many times you've been to rehab, no matter how many times you've cried yourself to sleep, no matter how many times you told your best friend, your wife, or your kids, it was the last time. <laughs> but it's still there. God can use that moment, even in your brokenness, to say, I've got your back. I'm worth following, no matter what. Hang in there, because you're part of my movement, and nothing can stand in its way. I, I love something, and I don't want us to miss something that Ajay said in the video. He said, in those times when we're down, when we're out, this is the time when the world can see our faith in action. How do we respond? When things get hard. How do we react? What, what do our kids see from us when someone cuts us off in traffic? Right? That's just the, the, the principle. But it applies across the board. Where do we lean when times get the hardest? 
In other words, don't shrink down. Stand up. Because Jesus, the almighty king, he's got your back. And the world's going to see it. And people are going to want what you've got. Topics like these can really put a face on the reality of Christianity, you know, more than a social club, more than just something to do on Sunday morning. But instead something that's like, is this transforming my life? Is this transforming the way that I look at the world around me and the way that I treat people? And I'm so thankful that Luke, as he wrote the book of Acts, didn't leave out this ugly story about Stephen. And even more thankful for that one verse They said, as the church scattered, they preached the name of Jesus everywhere they went. You know, Jesus is worth following. And and maybe for you this morning, you're looking for that thing, that one thing that's going to give you peace, that's going to bring you hope, that's going to bring light into your life. And maybe that's why you're here. Or maybe you came with a friend and you weren't expecting any of this. (laughs) Let me encourage you to continue to dig in. Because this is God's movement. And nothing stands in its way. And Jesus is worth following. He's worth following no matter what. Let's pray. God, you're good. Man, you're good. I'm blown away that you would just take uh, normal people like me and, and the people in this room that just are just here one day and gone after a few years. And, 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 and you put value in us and you love us. and You have, you have a heart for us. And compared to you or compared to the whole world or... World politics or world economics or wars, like each one of us might feel pretty insignificant. But God, you say, I love you. I'm holding you in my hand. Lord, right now I just pray for two people, two types of people. I pray right now for someone in this room or someone that we love that we're connected to who might not know your love. Who maybe hasn't taken a step up and said, I I am going to follow Jesus and I'm going to follow him no matter what. And I pray that our life can be the story that they look at each one of us and they can look at us and go I want what they've got because they got Jesus I also pray for the church around the world Lord we sat with about 30 volunteers this morning and we just prayed for the persecuted church I pray for men like Ajay Law uh, men and women like uh, Sean and Marianne Cooper who were here about a year ago in, in their ministry in Southeast Asia where they're facing some of the same stuff people around our nation who are taking hits whether it's in their business or uh, in their reputation or just emotionally because they've decided to have faith in you. But I pray that you show up just as big today as you always have. Teach us that following you is worth it no matter what. I pray in Jesus' name.